Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio tidbits we find all over the world. Today, an unusual subject for the radio, being deaf. From an Australian series called Street Stories, we bring you a two-part documentary. First, we hear about hearing parents with deaf children and how they negotiate their way through the school system, the medical establishment, and the very sharp political divide between the deaf who learn to speak and those who exclusively use sign language. Then, in part two, a very different perspective from generations of proud deaf families who would never dream of using hearing aids or implants and who hope that every baby born into their family will also be deaf. Now, while the deaf community in Perth, Western Australia, was initially dubious about being represented accurately on the radio, the series solicited strong praise from listeners, including the Australian Federation of Deaf Societies, who said that the story, quote, allowed listeners an insight into the experience of deafness and accurately and sensitively portrayed the personal and political issues experienced by deaf individuals and their families. Here's the first part of the series, called Deafness. Time lost. Hi, my name's Mitchell, and um, I'm 12 years old. I have a dog. I ride motorbikes, and I'm deaf. It's like if you put earplugs in your ears forever and never took them out again. I can't hear them. Can't you hear that? Fan. Fan. I can hear that. Rug. Rug. Thank you, Bert. Is it for me only? Ship. Ship. What I really want is someone to come along with a magic wand and, and, and make him hear. Seek. Hove. Dice. Both. Well. Dot. Move. Hearing birds sing. The sound of waves breaking on the beach. Ducks quacking on the pond. He was a very noisy baby. He made a lot of noise, a lot of high-pitched screaming noises. He was very alert. We used to think that he was also a very good sleeper because you could vacuum in his room, which at the time I thought was really wonderful, but that, it was just that he didn't hear the vacuum cleaner and he was always falling over. Oh, good boy. You're learning counting too, aren't you? Um, my name's Cathy. I am Mitchell's mum. Mitchell's 12 years old and is profoundly deaf. He was first diagnosed as 
having a hearing loss when he was um, nine months old. He went into his first set of hearing aids at 11 months old. Also at about two and a half, we started looking into getting him a cochlear implant because his hearing had deteriorated and by that stage he was profoundly deaf. I would have rather if I didn't even have this deaf problem, then it wouldn't make me feel a bit more happier because I'd just be like the same as everyone else in classroom and like in the world. I feel different because I had things hanging off my ears and magnets inside my head. And people ask me silly questions like, oh, can you stick to the fridge? <laughs> can you? Yeah, no. <laughs> He's got lots of opinions. <laughs> Hello, I'm Stephen Goswell. I'm here to discuss my son, Philip, who is uh, been diagnosed about 12 months ago now with having a severe to profound hearing loss in both ears. I'm Fiona Goswell. I'm Philip's mum. I'm a stay-at-home mum. Philip's just turned three recently and Sam, who's three and a half months. We found out when he was about, oh, it would have been 18 months old, Christmas time at my family's place in, back in Sydney. Uh, well, my sister just said he should be talking more at 18 months than this because he had one or two words, but nothing more than that. And she just said we should maybe get his ears tested. We had been a bit suspicious because, like, I'd walk into the lounge room and say, Philip, brekkie time or lunch time, and he wouldn't turn round. So I was a little bit worried and we had been considering getting his hearing checked. At that stage, it was a moderate to moderately severe hearing loss. He was fitted for hearing aids about 12 months ago. At the, at, at the age of two, just turned two. Children on the bus go. Chatter, chatter, chatter. Chatter, chatter, chatter. They say he has the language of a one-year-old and it's very slow. So we just have to keep plodding along. Babies on the bus go all day long. It was pretty devastating. We were shattered, I guess. We couldn't believe it was happening to our son. It was hard because you'd look at him and he was just as happy today as he was last week before we knew he was deaf. It was just us that had a really hard time dealing with it and we were confused because we knew nothing about deafness being deaf. We worried about how we were going to talk to him, how he was going to be able to talk to us. You just assume that you're just going to talk to them and sing nursery rhymes. Then all of a sudden we realised that all the chattering that we'd done with him for the last 11 months, he hadn't heard any of it. So that was really hard. Do you want to do five little ducks? Duck? Good boy. So, yeah, we were pretty flabbergasted when we um, realised he did have quite a serious hearing loss and I, f- I felt a lot of grief about the future for him that I thought we'd lost. Guilt because why didn't we spot it sooner? Uh, why, didn't, why didn't we do something? Why didn't we protect him from it? This harm. I know I had very clear ideas when he was born about, you know, what kind of life we were going to have, what he was going to be able to do, things we'd do together. Will he be able to learn to speak? It's, it's that fundamental, we're not sure yet whether he'll be able to learn to speak, will he be able to learn to read and write. I mean, I th- I'm an engineer, I thought that he'd go on and go to university and do all these sorts of things. I'm not the least sure he'll ever learn to read and write. Many hearing-impaired children can't learn to read and write. 
because they just can't develop the English skills necessary to learn to read and write. And we just sort of went through that, you know, have we lost all that? Is that is that gone sort of thing? Dice. Dice. Both. Both. Will. Drop. Move. What information were you given then when he was diagnosed? Just sent home with some pamphlets, basically. There was really no one to talk to. It was just sale decision. I remember actually ringing up a phone number of this woman I didn't even know to get some advice. Poor old Kim, we, we live at, in, at Karoi, which is about a two-hour drive north of Brisbane. I asked if there was other mothers I could contact. They said to me, no, we can't give out phone numbers. It's... I was very isolated. It was very frustrating, very mm. upsetting, very depressing. I'm John Devlin. My wife is Kim Devlin. We have five children and Benjamin is our youngest. He's our little deaf boy. He's 13 at the moment. Kim had a fair idea he, was, he had a hearing problem from when he was about four or five months old. He didn't react when you'd make a noise behind him or when you'd call. It was strange because sometimes we'd think he was deaf and other times we'd think he wasn't. You know, you'd do that clapping and then the stamping on the floor and we didn't realise at the time he was picking up the vibration and I didn't have an issue with him being deaf. I just wanted it to be diagnosed so that we could move on from there. At the time, I, I didn't think it was all that big a deal. But when I think back in hindsight now, I, I think I was probably living in denial for about four or five years. Because, see, for years we were using the hearing impaired term and it suited me because it didn't sound quite as definite as deaf. Deaf's got that deaf sound to it and it's more final. And also I think it was um, something too I didn't know about deafness, so I assumed that he was deaf, he was going to get hearing aids, he was just going to be like us then. So I didn't, mm. it didn't sort of hit home. How much work was involved? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Elephant. Elephant. Good boy. Tiger. Yeah. Banana. Banana. Apple. Good boy. So do you do lots of work with Philip like this? As much as I can with a reasonably new baby, yeah. You just build it into your day and you just, the activities you're doing, you just continue to talk about them. And he just babbles like this most of the day, on and off, has little conversations and you just agree and to keep it coming and it is improving. He's getting very good at grabbing you by the finger and leading you to what he wants or what he needs and pointing to it and making some sort of sound a bit like the word, enough for you to understand, enough for him to get what he wants. There are times he wants stuff and he gets quite frustrated at how thick we are in not understanding his need and he can get quite angry with us at times. He'll pick up toys and toss them a bit, slams doors occasionally. Kicks you, hits things, hits you. We hear stories from other parents of children, hearing paired children, who've gotten on to get really frustrated and gone on to have really huge behavioural problems. Phil's not there yet. We're frightened that if we don't start to get more communication happening, that's where it will end up. He might want something as simple as his drink in the Sesame Street cup, but I may have poured the drink into the blue cup and you know, he'd end up with it throwing it across the room or something and he would often end up in temper tantrums or in tears because he just couldn't get through to us. It could have been avoided if we'd had a language, like a sign language. I think that would have helped a lot with the frustration. 
you don't want to watch play school? They say the big decider about how well a child will go is how early the kid's diagnosed as deaf and how much work the parents put in. And unfortunately, Phil was diagnosed quite late, so he starts behind the eight ball and that can't be undone. We can't get those 18 months, two years back that was lost before he was diagnosed and given the hearing aids. So now we've got to make up two years. Tiana. Tiana, how was your day today? Did you have sport? Because it was raining. Did you have sport? <laughs> Cheeky chops. I need to tell them that you're very, very deaf and you can't speak and I have to sign for you. Okay. Did you have sport today? No, because... It's raining day. Oh, it was raining today. Did you hear it? Did you hear the thunder? No. No. Have to turn your hearing aids up more. Hi, my name's Gail Smith. I have two children, Tiana and Jacoby. Tiana was born with a profound hearing loss, um, which we picked up at two weeks old. I think I was so aware of the fact that she may be deaf because both my parents are deaf. Her hearing aids were on her at six weeks old and we've chosen to use the bilingual bicultural Path, which is both English and speech and Auslan Sign Language. Hang on. <laughs> She'll never make a good singer. <laughs> and what was your question? How did you first communicate with her? From very, very young, everything was um, signed and we always spoke to... If we were reading a picture book, I would actually point to the picture like, and then say dog and then I would sign dog and then I'd point to the picture to start teaching her language. When you made that decision to do both signing and speech, what kind of a reaction did you get? I caught flack from both sides. The auditory verbal centres where we were in Queensland wouldn't let us have any part of their program because we signed and they believed that that was completely wrong. It was really hard because we couldn't access their program where they offered uh, free speech therapy for children and it was very good speech therapy. We went in there telling them everything that we do and then said, what more can we do? How else can we help this child? We want her to reach her potential. And so we told them that we signed. And I couldn't believe the faces that dropped on all the people in the panel that were interviewing us and we went in and they actually said that unless we could get our child implanted and stop signing with her, we couldn't be part of their program. And then I explained that my parents were both deaf so that that would mean Tiana's grandparents were both deaf and she would need to learn the language anyway to communicate with them regardless of whether she had a hearing loss or not. And no, it still wasn't acceptable. So basically we couldn't be part of the program unless we were happy not to sign. Also at the other end, we also did get a lot of flack from the deaf community because we did give her hearing aids and we did work on her speech. I had some of the deaf community say to us that um, how dare you put hearing aids on her and how dare you teach her to speak, she should be deaf. And I understand where they're coming from, but I'm hearing. Where are they coming from? Um, Because they believe you should be proud to be deaf and... My mum being totally deaf, if someone was to say you should put hearing aids on and learn to speak, that would be a really big insult and she'd probably take quite a lot of offence to that. But I started Tiana's speech and listening from a young baby and it worked for her. When we first went to early intervention, we were never told that there was even a signing alternative available to us. We were straight away sent to the oral stream. What does that mean? That Mitchell would learn how to talk, how to use his residual hearing with his hearing aids. The sign language worried the rest of our family a lot because they were worried they wouldn't be able to communicate with him. We were still 
in two minds whether to go signing or oral and what we actually wanted to do was to do both but that wasn't available to us. We found that there was a very, it was a very political area. We had both sides trying to influence our decisions. The professionals definitely wanted us to go the oral way. A lot of deaf adults were encouraging us to go the signing way because they had been brought up in the oral education and they didn't like it, they weren't happy with it all and then after they'd been educated that's when they decided to go to signing and they said they were a lot happier once they were allowed to sign. We started asking questions about the signing side but we had been told that if we learnt signing that we would be asked to leave the early intervention that we were in. We were told that if we started signing then he wouldn't be eligible for a cochlear implant at all. So we basically put signing on the back burner and kept going down the oral path so that he could have the implant. Different organisations have different barrows to push and so you can't actually get good advice from anyone. You have to pick and choose information and look at your child and say, is this the right programme for my child in his circumstance? Did that shock you, the amount of politics involved? Absolutely. I would have thought that this was something that was very well understood, very well researched, and you could go to some professional organisation and say, well, this is what your child's hearing is like, this is the amount of loss he has, therefore this would be the best approach for communication for your child. And then there's no such place to go, there's no such advice. He's sitting beautifully. Well done, Ella, Thomas, Georgia, Zeke. Put your hands up and tell me some of the parts that you liked the most about the show. And I'm only picking people with their legs crossed sitting beautifully. Uh, Then when it came to school, we wanted to put her into a regular school but have um, the support of an Auslan interpreter full-time. And they told us, no, that we should take her to Nooseville. So we went to Nooseville and had a look and it was just really disappointing because it was... All children with Down syndrome, autism, Tiana was the only deaf child there and they were all thrown into a room together and it was just free-for-all, crazy. And then when I actually asked to speak to the person who was good at signing, Tiana was only about two and she started signing away to them and they had no idea what she was saying. And I'm like, well, how can this be a program for deaf children? So we told the department we weren't happy with that program that we wanted to send her to a regular school with an interpreter because we'd seen what... Um, outcomes were achieved with other deaf children and we weren't happy with that for Tiana and it was just impossible but basically um, the reason why they wouldn't provide it is because Auslan sign language was against their policy that it had to be signed English only and sign language is a different sign system that's used that's been proven not to be successful we just assumed that signing signed English well, was signing. sign language yeah. we, we didn't really know there was a difference at that time because, see, on the one hand, I was thinking, surely the school knows what they're doing. At the time, we thought he was doing all right. He started to pick up a few sounds and a few words, and but just like, you know, mum, mum and dad, dad, those baby-type sounds. Um, but he, he certainly couldn't put anything like it together into a sentence. So how did he cope at school, then? Uh, with great difficulty. But um, little Ben, yeah, he, he never did really slot in. He, he loved school at first. But, yeah, it was very hard for him when I think back. He was basically isolated, the poor little fella. Georgia wouldn't play with her in the sandpit. Why are you crying? No! 
Did Georgia, did Georgia say no, you can't play in the sandpit? Look, look at her tears. It's the bell time. Yeah, there's heaps of kids at school that have been mean about it, like teasing me. And uh, you got you can't hear. And like when I change her batteries in class and stuff, they like go yelling, screaming, ah, oh, Mitchell, Mitchell. They just keep screaming and screaming, because, and then they laugh at me because I can't turn around and I don't even know that they're talking to me. Sometimes when I put it on, like I turn it on quick enough, then I can hear their echoes, like Mitchell. People like at school make me lip read when. They just keep going, Mitchell, what am I saying? And they like to move their mouths and then when I say what they say, then I say, no, I said something else. It is tough when you have to do it, like, all the time, but if it was just, like, no one did it, then it would probably be an easier for me. Are you listening, please? Okay, this is the start of something that's going to be fun. Something you're going to be working over, but pretty quickly, and by about week three, you're going to have to take the class yourself. It can be difficult when you're just in the normal classroom with background noises that we tend to just block out. We like somebody mowing the lawn, a car, or a truck going past. Even in the classrooms these days, the class that's next door doesn't necessarily have a full wall, so all of the information that's happening in the other classroom is all drifting across. With the other kids, that's not what they need to be listening to, so they block that out. But with Mitchell, it is hard to block it out. He hears all that as well as what he hears in his classroom, the things that he's meant to be listening to. And you do find that he gets very tired. It's a lot harder work for him, just the concentrating and the listening doesn't come as easily to him as it does to the other, the other kids in the classroom. I think he would have done a lot better if he had have had somebody there who could have reinforced what the teacher was saying, make, making sure that Mitchell actually understood the meaning for what the teacher was saying. You're too smart. Oops, do you want to get it? Hello? Hello, Paige. Hello, Sarah. What did you do today? No, Tiana, it's not Sarah, it's Paige. Oh, I thought you were Sarah. Paige, if you speak, then I'll sign to Tiana what you're saying. Okay. Tiana read earlier today. She wants to know, can you go to her house today? I'm not allowed, Paige. Okay. okay, see ya. Bye-bye. I love you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> see? See how I just did that? I said, tell her another day I'd love to, but because she didn't watch my signing, she went, I love you, and how they can just get so much information wrong and, and it can sometimes really cause problems. So that's why I feel sign language just deletes that from happening. Different teachers had said to us that, oh, he understands what we're saying because you ask him and he nods his head, well, you know. And we'd had comments made as far back as 2001 that, oh, he's a competent little lip reader now, he understands everything that's happening in the classroom, but he, he just did not have the language to be a competent lip reader, to be a lip reader, let alone a competent lip reader. Kim was raising concerns with the school for years, went on and on and on, and she was just treated like an over-concerned, well, she was even told one time she was an over-concerned mother. And as I said before, he was the dunce of the class this year in and year out. Well, his self-esteem and the embarrassment and that that he suffered on a daily basis, really. Sam, rug, chip, seat, hay, dice, both well, not move. There are 
are no statistics on the level of education being achieved by deaf children in comparison with hearing children. But anecdotally, they're consistently years behind. It's usually the 90% of deaf children born to hearing parents, like Ben, that suffer most. Deaf children born to deaf parents and children like Tiana, who grew up with Auslan, don't usually experience the same language deficit. Nationally, the level of support given to deaf children in the classroom is patchy to say the least. In some states, usually in metropolitan areas, a child might have a full-time aide or interpreter, sometimes using Auslan, sometimes using another signing system like Signed English, which isn't recognised by the deaf community. In other areas, they might have nothing at all. For the first year and a half of Tiana's schooling life in Queensland, I had to go to her classroom and sit in her classroom five days a week and interpret for her what was being said without pay. And so a year and a half I did that and then it got beyond a joke and I, I couldn't keep interpreting. It was just too tiring and Tiana needs to go to school without her mother. And we actually had about four weeks where there was no interpreter. And in that short amount of time, she used to climb to the back of the car and refused to get out of the car to go into the classroom because there was no interpreter. She would beg me to stay or begs for someone else to come to interpret and got to the stage that on the last day she crawled underneath the teacher's desk and curled up into a ball and said, Mum, you're mean, I can't hear. Why do you make, make, keep making me come here? And she was in grade one. And that was the day that we decided that this isn't going to work. So we um, pulled her out of that school. Mum, what are you doing? Talking about your school in Queensland. Do you remember when the school said, I can't go and sign no more, and you had no interpreter? Did you like that? I can read a teacher group, but I didn't like it because I can't hear. When you <laughs> couldn't hear the teacher, is it easier to do your work or does it make it harder for you? Make it hard for me. Not happy. Tiana was at the same school as the Devlin's little boy, Ben. By this stage, they'd joined together and mounted a court case against Education Queensland, alleging it had discriminated against them by providing poor quality instruction in signed English with no Auslan support. Well, he's had, up to that time, about six years of schooling and he was assessed as having the language of a, a child in about grade two. He could read basic children's books that you'd let her... Baby books. Baby books, yeah. those type of things. Like, how are you? And nothing that an 11-year-old should be reading, that's for sure. He didn't even know his ABC until he was about grade five. Kim had approached the school about getting him some Auslan support, which she eventually got very limited hours of Auslan support, but it, it, it took a lot of arguments and a lot of headbanging to get it. How many hours? And... Five hours initially. A week? A week, yes. And um, she basically pleaded with them to give him more Auslan, support to Auslan, and they wouldn't, so out of desperation, we just thought, no, he's, we, we've just got to take him out of here and, and send him somewhere where he can't have full Auslan. And we enrolled him in the um, Thomas Patterson School in Sydney. It's deaf children from interstate can come and they they board with a with a host family and the host family has a deaf child as well and he's uh, just done remarkably well his language has exploded it, it's the best thing we ever did for him really but he's but in he's Sydney and you're in Queensland yes yes 
but it was something we we had to do for the little fella you know he's it's hard enough for a for a kid growing up these days with a good education let alone a little deaf fella that's illiterate um we actually decided or felt we had no other choice but to move from queensland to perth purely for tiana's education so she could get access to an interpreter it's just extraordinary that in Perth, no matter where we live, they provided with a full-time Auslan interpreter and they wouldn't even hesitate over here because I said to the department over here, why would you do that? And they said, we have to, otherwise it's discrimination. So I can't understand why in Queensland it's not discrimination, but it is in WA. And it's just not fair that we get pulled away from our family just so that our child be educated. But it's what we have to do. That we've found that he's found his identity as being a deaf person. Because when he went to the hearing school, it was basically, I don't think he knew who he was. Like, these people are hearing, I don't hear like them. <laughs> Kim's crying again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now that he's got the language, it's just made him proud of who he is. Well, it's working towards that anyway. He wants to have a go now, mm. Kirsty. He plays, yeah, like he plays soccer, he's in the depth choir. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. <laughs> Just in bed away, I miss him all time. Our favourite saying is, we don't have careers, we've got our kids. You know, it's like we've lost two years of his life and, and he's lost two years of his family life. After both Ben and Tiana's family had moved into state, the court handed down its decision. The court ruled in favour of Ben, awarding him damages and saying Education Queensland should have provided him with Auslan support. Tiana lost her case. Because she was only in Grade 1, unlike Ben, she hadn't yet fallen behind her hearing peers. Her family was ordered to pay Education Queensland's legal costs, amounting to hundreds of thousands of dollars. As for the parents of three-year-old Philip, Fiona and Stephen Goswell, they have a long road ahead. Phil has a couple of dozen words and that's all he can understand when he hasn't got his hearing aids in he can't understand anything we have no real decent fluid communication with him uh, he more gets by by pulling and prodding and poking and pointing at what he wants or he's making up his own sign language in the absence of a sign language to some extent and um, I've always been quite frightened that I won't be able to communicate with Phil if, if this audio oral approach doesn't work and if he doesn't learn spoken English and if we don't go to the sign language will I be left with no way of communicating with him and not being able to share my thoughts and hear his thoughts. I have to make sure that I have some way of communicating with him so I can be a father to him. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. You just heard the first of a two-part series from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and producer Kirsty Melville. Now, you don't have to go down under just to hear what's playing on their radio. All you really have to do is turn on your own. If you appreciate what you hear on ReSound, send us an email. Questions, comments, rants, and raves can all be sent to us at ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now we go to the second part of Kirsty Melville's series, Being Deaf, Deaf and Proud. When my girls were babies, um, I had them in the pram, and somebody said, oh, look at that curly hair. And I'd say, oh, sorry, I'm deaf. And they'd go, and point to the baby, is she deaf? And I'd say, oh, yes, and they'd go, oh, no, you poor thing, I feel so sorry for you. And my immediate reaction was, how dare you? Don't. And I'd say, no, I'm happy. And they'd look at me like I was from outer space or something. Hello, my name is Patricia Levitsky-Gray. I come from a deaf family and I'm the fourth generation of deafness and my children make up the fifth generation. I'm very proud that we are a deaf family because I don't, there's not many other deaf people such as myself who have that long history of deafness in their family. 90% of deaf people have, have come from a hearing family. Um, so we already had a deaf identity. Uh, we were born into the deaf community. So we'd been told by all our you know, deaf adults who were always saying to protect yourself and that hearing people would try to oppress you and deaf people have to be strong and stand up for themselves. We're a little bit odd in that way and we're quite proud of it. Hi, my name is uh, Chris Levitsky-Gray. My parents are deaf as well. I actually come second generation. My kids are here at the moment, so this is my third generation. <laughs> so I feel... Really proud to have the, the culture and the language. I mean, I've, I'm able to communicate every day. There's no isolation involved with it now because the communication is there. Well, we didn't intentionally plan that we would meet a deaf partner, of course. I, th- I think I would have been happy with a partner whether they were deaf or hearing, but I think maybe we have more love for each other because we have that understanding. And really, uh, in the past, I mean, I've had other relationships with hearing girls, Right, but we've always had issues and communication's been the main thing and even you know, trying to get them introduced to my parents and stuff like that. We didn't feel like that we belonged together in the same world until I met Patty and her parents accepted me straight away. We had that bonding that was there because the language was already there and we've been together ever since. All right, well, my, yo, my name is uh, Joshua Lutsky Gray. I'm 16, I'm going to be 17. I'm set at uh, Shenton College, year 12. I'm being born deaf, right? You've heard my parents talk about whatever they had to talk about. I'm just ne- deaf. I'm a normal person. I'm a teenager. I'm normal like anyone else. I enjoy my time on a computer. I'm as lazy as they come. And that's pretty much about me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm deaf, but for me, it's just like it's nothing really. You know, I'm proud to be who I am. Happy to be deaf. I mean, I can't hear, but I can still do other things. Hi, 
Hi, my name is Tatiana Levitsi Gray. Um, yeah, her my brother. I'm yeah eight at Shenton College, and I'm really enjoying high school. Uh, well, I was born half deaf, uh, about 55 decibels, but then they did a hearing test and I found out I got a little bit more deaf, but it didn't really bother me. But it would really scare me if I actually went deaf because one of my favourite hobbies is listening to music and dancing and I really don't want to live life without music. I don't know why, it's just one of my passion and I'd be really scared if I get deaf and not be able to hear music. I like um, all type of music. I just really hate the old classical one, like the orchestra or the opera. Just do not try try that with me. It just doesn't work. Coming from a deaf family of five generations, they always like teach me things, how to be strong and confident. And I've got like these kind of like a really bold confidence, and um, that's one of the things I'm really proud of. Okay, hi, my name is Melissa Bryson. I was born profoundly deaf from two hearing parents. I have an older brother who is deaf as well. Um, I grew up in an oral environment. Um, when I was young, maybe about six or seven years old, we went to the city and I remember very clearly we were waiting for the train and saw a couple walking past and they were flapping their arms about using sign language. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, those poor things. I thought they couldn't talk. I thought they could hear, but they couldn't talk. I didn't know that there are other deaf people in the world sort of thing. I just thought there was just us. And um, I met a deaf man and he said, yeah, we've got a deaf club. Would you like to come and attend for a social night? And I thought, a deaf club, what's that? And he said, well, it's all where all the deaf people go and socialise. So I went to the deaf club and then I thought, oh, my God, I couldn't believe the, f- the hands sh- flapping and... and there was just shimmering hands everywhere. They were all talking and I didn't know what they were saying because it was too quick. And I felt, finally, I found my true identity. Um, this is my culture. The deaf community, Deaf with capital D, are people who are use, generally use Auslan. Talk about what? The obvious thing is if you have a language, it means that you have a culture. There has to be the two together. If there's no language, there's no culture, and if there's no culture, there's, there's no language. Sign language, as I said before, is a recognised language by the Australian government. Uh, has its own grammar, its own structure and syntax. It's a beautiful visual language. We don't believe speaking is important. Many people, the first question they ask is, can you speak? And I think, well, why don't you ask me if I can drive or am I married or do I have a house? It's always, can you speak? We have deaf humour. We have a beautiful deaf art. Some of the art can can even be quite, it's beautiful but also quite awful because it shows the oppression that we have. There's one that shows a man whose uh, hands are in handcuffs or his fingers have been chopped off, which shows that there was a time when we weren't allowed to sign. Facial expression is very very much equivalent to vocal intonation in the spoken language. For example, if you're angry, then the tone of your signing changes. It becomes more rapid, for example. But certainly facial expression really conveys the kind of intonation that you would normally expect to find in a hearing person when they speak. When you use your voice, you shout. But for the body language, it gets more expressive. The, the tenseness of the arms or the eyes piercing, stare, or eyebrows down together show your teeth. And it's, you know, suck the breath in and and strain the neck so they know that you're angry angry just because of the body posture. And eye contact is very important. 
If you're not watching me talking, that means you're being rude in my culture. Because I'm expressing this beautiful language and I'm making a picture and you're not watching. Um, so it means you're not getting my message and that's, you know, rude. When Natasha was about two weeks old, I saw mum come in with a huge saucepan. I thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she grabbed the wooden spoon about six inches away from my head when I was a baby. She did the same thing and she whacked it. And the baby had a slight startling motion. That was it. And mum went, yep, she's got a little bit of hearing, but otherwise she's deaf. And I thought, well, okay, that's fine. That's, that's great. Because I knew that I'm going to have such a close connection with this child. We're going to share the same culture, same language, same views, same problems. And then we decided, yep, we're going to have a second child. And my friends thought, oh, maybe it's going to be deaf as well. And then I started to be a little bit concerned, actually, at that time, because I didn't want uh, three against one. Now, I would have preferred it if she was deaf, and then we could all be the same. We could all be included in this family that we were having. When Vanessa was finally born, and it was absolutely, she is profoundly deaf. So uh, we were very happy and relieved. When Joshua, my first son, was born... We had a hearing test and realised he was deaf and I was very happy because I knew that he would fit into our family so well. And really, me being a house husband, I looked after the children when they were a lot younger and I always brought them to care, always believed in bringing the children with me wherever I went, whether I'd be going to the toilet or anywhere, so I'd have the child with me 24-7. I mean, I work with the eyes and that's how deaf people work. We don't work following the sounds that a baby makes. When I'd gone to bed, we had a baby cry alarm but we would actually have a flashing light attached to it. So if the baby was just making murmuring noises, it would be a little tiny flash. But if it made really, really you know, bright flashing lights, we knew, OK, the baby's crying. And that's when we knew we had to go in to see if she was OK. There's a, a switch in your brain sort of thing that you're always on alert. Because I rely, my brain relies on the visual cues. When I'm asleep, my brain never goes off. I cannot sleep with the light on. So there was one night I slept right through, woke up in the morning and thought... <gasps> Oh, my God, Vanessa! And I ran to the cot, and there she was, sleeping very well, but the globe had died on the flashing light, and I felt sick. Now, with my daughter, when she was born, in regards to the hearing test, there was a hearing that was there, and the nurse said, oh, that's great, she's hearing, it's, it's fantastic news, but I didn't feel that it was fantastic news. I would have preferred her to be deaf. So I didn't say anything at that stage, but, I mean, we come from different worlds. It's a different perspective that I have compared to other people. With my second daughter, Trisana, when she was born, we were a little bit unsure. And when we got home from the hospital and I was holding Trisana, I threw the car keys over the coffee table and she jumped at that. And I realised that she was hearing. And I actually felt very sorry for her because in a deaf family with everybody else deaf, then who will she talk to? And, you know, she may have to be a lot more sort of determined through life when people didn't understand the family that she came from. And we also have our own culture, but there's very few people in Australia that are aware of this. And so that's sort of why I felt sorry for Drasana, because she was born between these worlds. And I realised that's how a normal hearing family would feel when they find out they have a deaf baby. (laughs) Come on. Uh, My name is Jane. I'm a mother of four children. I have two deaf children. Alexandra is my eldest. She's 19 years of age and profoundly deaf now. For me, finding out that 
Alex had a hearing loss. It was no big deal to me. But for Alex's father, Chris, it was devastating. Okay. I've been getting a lot of help. Like My name's it. Alexandra Shaw. I'm 19. I'm in my second year of university. I'm studying law and international politics. At the age of four, I started to wear hearing aids and I went profoundly deaf at about the age of eight. Then my brother, as it turned out, was deaf as well. We have hearing parents and the whole family uses sign language to communicate, Australian sign language, Auslan. Is it hard to cook and sign at the same time? Because, yeah, you've got to stop because you can't just keep chopping because you need your hands to communicate. That's my excuse for not cooking. That's a very pathetic excuse. It wasn't until Alex was in about end of year five that her whole personality changed and, you know, you'd say, how was your day? Fine. And then you'd say, oh, well, so what, what did you kids do, you know, in recess or lunch? They sat and talked. OK, so what were they talking about? I don't know. And eventually we actually you know, got it out of her what was the problem and she said, I'm having to concentrate all the time. Every waking moment, I have to look at their lips to find out what they're saying. And so she just, in the end, gave up and went to the library or read a book or something like that. So she then also became very isolated. We didn't change anything. So that's when we started looking ourselves at learning sign language. I do remember when I was, I think, 11, uh, we played Spotlight on a school camp and I hated it because it was dark and I could see the light sort of scan over the top of me but did they find me or not? I wasn't sure because they hadn't shouted at me to get out or if they did that I hadn't heard of them. Suddenly everyone disappeared and I was still in my hiding spot so I kept waiting and waiting and waiting on my own in the dark and then I started to worry and then I couldn't find anyone And what had happened was somebody had called out. It was dinner time and everyone had raced into the house and I was still in the backyard hiding. I hadn't heard it. So it was also when I'd started to learn sign as well. So I was was really questioning my identity. I knew I wasn't a hearing person, but I also didn't fit entirely into the deaf community. And I think that that particular game exacerbated my feelings about myself and where I maybe fitted in. So when I started learning sign language and we'd go to the deaf club on Friday nights and I started to also see that there was that element to my own identity. You know, I was deaf. So I think I could either continue on the way that I was trying to fit into the hearing world and to be as hearing in quotation marks as possible or I had a choice of getting involved in this vibrant deaf community and this beautiful culture and this... You know, everything was easy. It just seemed so much easier. It just felt right. It felt like I'd belonged there forever. It felt like home. Every Friday night we used to go to the Deaf Club as a family, just sit there and just watch people sign and just watch what they do. It, was it any different to what we did? And very quickly she realised there was a Deaf culture, a Deaf identity, and I think then she realised that she could actually be a part of this. For example, getting attention, we make sure that we have eye contact. Uh, We might tap each other or wave or bang on a table or bang on the floor to get someone's attention. Um, Banging on the table, waving, flapping your arms about trying to get somebody's attention. (laughs) The way they get their attention is they turn the lights out and then they turn the lights back on so they know that everyone knows then that something's happening. And that was the, the weirdest thing when the lights went out the first time. I thought, 
It's not going to work for them. They can't see each other. (laughs) (laughs) Or in the hearing community, pointing is not considered appropriate. It's considered quite rude, whereas in deaf culture it's very common. It's completely normal to point. You have to point as part of the language to know who or what you're talking about. It's not considered rude in our culture to point. Well, we just need to make sure that, uh, that people have a good understanding about that our behaviour is different and it doesn't mean that we're odd or weird or you know perhaps rude compared to other people. I think we need to be very aware that we explain that. <laughs> okay, my name's Vanessa and I'm in year eight and I'll be 13 next month. No, it's this month. Oh, it is too. Oh, yay, nearly my birthday. I'm in the debate team and the drama class. I've been called a drama queen. Now, I don't think I'm a drama queen, but sometimes I do go over the top. Yes, she does. She is a drama queen. I like going out with my friends too and partying and socialising. And talking. Mum's in the background saying, she talks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, she's right. I never shut up. And, yep, that's me. But you're deaf. Oh, oh yeah, I'm deaf, of course. Okay, my name's Natasha and I'm deaf. I'm 14. My mother and father are deaf, my sister's deaf, my grandparents are deaf, my uncle's deaf, and we have such a strong culture. I really like it, actually, the deaf culture, the deaf community, the deaf way. It's really good sometimes, like especially hearing people get so distracted. They've got the radio, the dog barking, the kids crying, a train goes past, a plane over the top. I'm in my own quiet little world, very peaceful and quiet. How I feel about being deaf really depends on who's around me and what their attitudes are. If they sit there going, oh, you're deaf, and doing things with their hands, then it doesn't give me much confidence. Other people say, oh, wow, you're deaf, wow. And it's amazing to them. And it's like, well, yeah, it is amazing. When I'm with my hearing friends, it was very difficult trying to get involved because they speak so fast. I didn't know who was speaking. Hearing people will speak over each other, whereas deaf people take turns, and they didn't do that. So it was very difficult for me to catch up. I would try to lip read, but if I didn't understand, it was very difficult. When I'm with my deaf friends, we all sign. (laughs) Deaf people, when they're talking, like to have space between them. They don't like to be too close because, obviously, to use sign language in front of our bodies, we need some space to communicate. Uh, There are some rules about getting attention. Generally speaking, you would tap only from the shoulder region down to the elbow. That's an unspoken rule, I suppose. There are a few deaf people who don't behave appropriately in hearing environments because their parents never told them. So they behave silly, uh, too overtly visual or uh, not controlling the voice, uh, the vocalisations, um, loud screaming in public areas. One student who blew up a paper bag and popped it, banged it, and it scared all the hearing people. And it's just, you don't do that. You've got to respect the hearing people's uh, well, hearing. Deaf people need to learn about hearing culture. For example, not uh, burping and farting in public because, you know, we don't realise you can hear that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, at some point you can, you can smell it, but we don't hear the noise and uh, it can take children a while to learn that. Or eating with their mouth open, making lots of noise with a knife and fork and dragging things on the plates. They don't know that can make a noise and no one teaches them that it makes a noise. (laughs) And I think when I was young, any child when they're young, 
everything seems easy, um, you know, playing and fitting in and whatever is pretty easy, but as you get older, differences become more apparent, more noticed by other children and more noticed by yourself. Problems that I had was the bullying at school, the bullying that I had. That was a common occurrence, but I, used to, I had fights with other people as well. We had arguments and because they used to tease me about being deaf and I didn't know why. Sometimes they mimic me because um, of the accent sometimes because I kind of have like a deaf voice, like a deaf accent because I come from a deaf family and when I was in primary school um, I was bullied because um, in the dictionary there was the word dumb. What it meant was deaf people are dumb because they can't speak and, um, and then they started pointing against my family and that got me really mad. I didn't have as many friends I had but when I got to high school I had Lyndon, Georgie and Kat, those three like my really best mates. And they're all hearing? Yep, they're all hearing. Sometimes when my hearing friends go to a concert, I want to go, but I haven't brought spare hearing aid batteries and they run out with lots of noise if I miss half the concert or the movie. Or if I go to a movie and there's no captions, I can't be bothered to lip read. But all my hearing friends just sit back and they can hear it all so they get all the information. I'm very proud to be deaf, don't get me wrong. I do have favourite bands and I do like music and I can hear it all with a hearing aid. I can't hear the words but I can feel the music, I can hear the music and I know the songs from the rhythm or the melody. Sometimes if there's a lot of background noise like techno, doof doof, I don't get that. But I also like taking my hearing aid off and saying, right, I don't want to hear anything right now. And then I put it back on if I want to hear my music. I'm <laughs> You grew up um, as an oral deaf child, but now you, you sign always and use interpreters. Is there a reason why you don't use your voice now? I can express more in Auslan than I can with my spoken voice. Um, sometimes there are some words that I can't really express properly, that I can't say properly. I've also got, if you like, an accent. If they understand my accent, then I feel very confident. And if I don't feel confident, I don't use my voice. My voice is different to a hearing person's voice, as in deaf people can't control what the voice is doing. Uh, so I do prefer to use an interpreter so I can understand that person. It's not just for them to understand me. Sometimes if they've got something in their mouth, a chewing gum or a hand up, and I'm thinking, well, what, 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 what? And then they think, oh, bugger, it's just too hard. It makes me feel sort of like, oh, gee, thanks, if they say, oh, it's too hard and walk off. Really? People do that? People. Yeah, they do. Oh, my God, she's deaf. What do I say? How do I say it? What do I do? What do I... And I'm sitting there, just speak. Sometimes I find people continue to talk, even when I've gestured that I'm deaf, and other people will take on board, oh, okay, and they'll start to gesture to me or they'll grab a piece of paper and a pen. Basically, you can divide the community into do a very clear division of people who do make adaptations and people who don't. And so I will often stand up for myself and say, and gesture, I'm deaf, I cannot hear you. If you're going to keep talking, I'm not going to understand you. Whereas with the people who are using gesture, fabulous, they're trying to communicate with me. The other situation that you can end up with is patronising people who over over gesture things and act out long pantomimes and be, be very, very patronising. Would you ever consider a cochlear implant? I think that when I was 12, 
um, I was asked to get a cochlear implant and I said, uh, no thanks. She turned around to us and said, don't you ever give me one of them. I don't need one of them. Why don't they use sign language instead of trying to make them hearing? And I thought, whoa. At that time I'd started to learn sign and I felt that I'd found my place, I'd found my home. To have an implant trying to remediate me, I do not consider myself somebody in need of repair. With a cochlear implant you can't play contact sports, you weren't allowed to scuba dive, there was this massive list of things that you weren't going to be able to do in your life and I felt, well what benefit is it going to offer me? The deaf community has an objection to some extent to the notion, the concept of cochlear implants because we see it as taking away from deafness as a legitimate way to be and that our identity is a perfectly acceptable identity to have in the hearing community and part of diversity of society. I saw Josh turning up his nose then too. Yeah, yeah you don't, it's, it's not something you would ever want, Josh? No, not really. I mean, I have sign language, which I have a great time when I go out and socialise, but, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with who I am. I'm OK. I am OK as a person. I can write, I can read, I have my sign language, I play games, I talk to my friends, I watch TV, I have SMS contact with my friends, I can drive, I can do all these sort of things without it. But really, I mean, I do strongly believe that deaf people are fine. I mean, if they're deaf, they're fine, that's fine. They, where they use, if they use sign language, there's no real big issue with that. Right? It's not saying that they can't do anything with the world. I mean, come on, <laughs> face it, get off your high horse. Would you ever consider a cochlear implant? No, no. I've been asked that before and there's no way I'd ever consider that in my whole life. To me, it's not important to hear because I know I'll not be able to hear as well as a hearing person can. If I was hard of hearing, I might have considered it. But no, it doesn't appeal to me at all. I'm also very glad my mum and dad didn't force me as a child to have a cochlear implant. and They made it my decision. They said, it's up to you. Yes, it's very important for children to decide because it's their head, it's their body, it's their hearing, it's their brain. They drill it into your skull to put the cochlear implant in and that should be my choice. Sometimes I've considered it because I'd like to hear because I can hear fairly well. So I'd like to know what it would be like to have a cochlear. But at the moment, no. The deaf community felt that the cochlear was taking over, taking away uh, things that the deaf uh, had valued for so long. Um, if everybody used a cochlear and became hearing, then the sign language would die, the, the culture would die, hearing p- people controlling the deaf community even more so with technology and telling us that we're not good enough, that we have to be hearing because the deafness is a disability and uh, that it's not as valued as hearing people are and that's very sad. Sign language is incredibly valuable and we have to keep it going, even if you do have a cochlear. Um, there's evidence that there's a huge benefit to having a cochlear implant for some people. Other people refuse to, to even talk about it, let alone to go and consider having one. So it's very, it's very hard, very political. Was there any part of you at all that would have liked to have had a child that was hearing to be able to experience things that you'd not been able to experience? No, I don't think so. I never really thought of it at all. Um, that's, that's quite a strange question, I have to say. Um, I think once you become deaf or once you are deaf, you never wish that you were hearing. Uh, perhaps someone who be- loses their hearing later in life because they've had their hearing and, and they wish they could hear music again or hear the waves of the ocean. But I love to watch the ocean. And people say, well, don't you miss out on the sound of it? And I think, well, no, I've never heard it, so I don't miss it.
Um, I love the colour of it. I love watching it. I love the, the you know, white foam that appears and I love watching Chris surf. But I don't feel that I'm missing out on anything. Sometimes I think, well, yeah, I'm deaf and I'm happy about it. And sometimes my friends say, oh, have you got that new CD? Have you heard Pink's new album? And it's like, well, no, I haven't. And sometimes if there's a movie on TV in the afternoon and there's no captions, it's like, oh, God, I just wish I was hearing. I just wish I was hearing. But I'm very happy that I'm deaf. But sometimes it's just a frustration that I'm not given access to things hearing people can have. Vanessa, how did you get so articulate at the age of 12? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Mum's standing in the background with her hands open. Hey, what about me? Yeah, I've had such a supportive family. My mother is very confident, very accomplished, and my father is very proud as well. And they've taught me don't sit down in a corner when people say, don't do this. You stand up and say, yeah, I can, and show them. And I'd love to have deaf children. If they're hearing, you know, I'll still love them. <laughs> Being Deaf, Deaf and Proud, from the Australian series Street Stories. Being Deaf was produced by Kirsty Melville for the ABC. The series won the 2006 Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission's Radio Award. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.